Our Bible reading this evening is from Ephesians chapter 4, commencing at verse 17 to Ephesians 5, 2. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, be, may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of the love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. May God bless to us the reading of his word. Amen. Keep your Bible there in Ephesians 4. We're going to make our way through this passage tonight and let's pray that God will help us as we do that. Father, we thank you for everything new that comes with Jesus and we pray that tonight you might unfold the new life that we have in him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, I had a t-shirt that I really loved. I got it when I was about five years old and it had a had a picture of a frog on it, and he was, he was a great frog. Uh, he, this frog was for the streets. He was dressed up in great 90s drip. He, he was, I love that guy. And he had this little catchphrase, a speech bubble coming out, and he, he would say, what's jumping? Which, as I think about it now, that question makes no sense. That's not something that people say. But anyway, I love this shirt. I loved it a little bit too much because as I continued to grow... 
well, it was becoming apparent that this shirt was too small for me. And my kind of little seven-year-old belly was hanging out the bottom of it. But uh, I love this thing and I did not want to let it go. Now, my mum, practical woman as she is, uh, she knew that it was time for me to move on from this shirt. So she would buy me new T-shirts and gently encourage me maybe to say goodbye to what's jumping the frog. Um, but I, I didn't want to. And so she had to give me some more, I guess, forceful clues. Like I'd put the T-shirt in the wash and it wouldn't come back with the other clean clothes. It would just stay there in the laundry. Um, and so she knew better than I did that it was time to move on. But some things are hard to let go of, particularly things like things that are as close to you as clothes. You know how they feel. You're used to how you look in that thing. You're comfortable. It's familiar. Change can be hard like that. Dealing with change, welcoming, particularly changing the way that we live can be really difficult when it comes to us personally. Remember, there's a, a new place that you're living in or a new job that you're doing or a, a new way of organising your room. That's, that can be really hard to get your head around. New ways of doing things, change is hard. Paul says something similar to the Ephesians and to us. If you are someone who's put your trust in Jesus, Paul says, you cannot stay the same. He says to them, you must no longer live the way the Gentiles live. He says to them, put on a new self. Now, that is a, that's a big thing to say. And it raises some questions for me, which hopefully this passage will answer for us. The first question for me is, why? What's the reason that when you start following Jesus... You should change the way that you live. Why do we need to live this new life? Second question, what does that actually look like? What does the new life look like? And third question, how can we actually do that? How, how do we change? How is it possible to start living a new life? We're going to dive into all those questions in this passage tonight. First question, why should we live a new life? Why do we need to change? Now, Paul says it's not because we need to earn our salvation. It's not because we need to pay God back for having saved us. It's, it's not that we need to change the way that we live so that we can keep our salvation. So why is it that we need to live a new life? Well, Paul says it's because we have been united to Jesus. Paul starts his instruction in verse 17 by saying, so... Or literally, therefore, we are called to live a new life because of what we have just been hearing for the last three and a half chapters. Paul has been saying so far that if you are a follower of Jesus, something massive has happened to you. You've been united to Jesus. Back in chapter 2, being united to Jesus means that though you were once dead in your sins, ruled by Satan and slavishly following your desires, you've been made alive in Christ. You've been set free to live the life that Jesus lives. Later on, chapter 2, going into chapter 3, Paul talks about how if you have been united with Jesus, you are part of a new humanity you used to live for yourself. You used to be hostile towards people who were different from you. For, for the Ephesians, that was between Jews and Gentiles. But Paul says, we have been made one with each other in Christ. And our transformed relationships with other Christians, especially the ones we struggle to like, 
That's how God shows the power of what he's done to the universe. End of chapter 3, going into chapter 4, Paul talks a couple of times about how if you are united with Jesus, you are being filled to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Again, that is such a huge thing to say. God is at work in you to make you fully like Jesus. All of the ways that Jesus' relationship with God is awesome, the the way that Jesus trusts God and obeys his Father, the joy that Jesus has knowing his Father, knowing that he is precious, knowing that he is loved, God is changing you and shaping you so that you are like that, like Jesus. And last week we heard in chapter 4 that if you're united with Jesus, you are in the body of Christ and you've been given the job of serving people in that body, building those people up so that every other part of the body grows in that fullness of being like Jesus as well. You've been united to Jesus. You've been united with his people. And so therefore, because of what God's done in your life and all the fullness he's given you in Christ, Paul says, you can't keep living like you used to. Why not? Because Paul says that old life that you used to live was empty. Look at verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. That word for futility, Paul literally uses a word that means emptiness. After all of the fullness that Jesus has given you, you can't go back to living the old empty life. What was empty about that way of life? Paul says in verse 18, it was a life that was separated from the life of God. And so for the Ephesians, before they knew God, their moral compass didn't have God as its magnetic north. And so being separated from God emptied their every aspect of their being. Sin isn't just a, a bunch of bad behaviours that we do. It warps who we are at the very fabric of our being and it touches every aspect of who we are. So in verse 18... Paul says that in your old life, Ephesians, sin sin touched your mind. They were darkened in their understanding. They, They didn't see the world, they didn't see life, they didn't see relationships in the light of God being the creator and the king. Again in verse 18, sin warped their hearts, it warped their morality. He says that they were hardened in their hearts, that they'd lost all sensitivity, their sense of What's right and wrong was was blunt. In verse 19, he says that sin, just like it's impacting the world around them, that once it impacted their desires, he says that they give themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. Like the world around them, before they knew Jesus, they took their desires and placed them on the throne of their lives and followed where they led. And do you know the the endlessness of that chase, chasing after their desires? They indulge in every kind of impurity and yet they're still full of greed. They eat what they want, but they're never full. They bought whatever they wanted to, but they were never satisfied. They slept with whoever they wanted to, 
but they never felt loved. It was empty. It was an empty way of life. Paul says to them, if you've been united with Jesus, united with his people, filled with the fullness of Jesus, given the job of serving the body and building each other up so that we grow in that fullness, you can't keep living the empty way of life that you used to. You don't need to because you're already full in Jesus, but also when we keep individually chasing after what feels good for us, then the body goes neglected and is weakened. Paul says that if we have been united with Jesus and made part of his body, it doesn't fit to keep living our lives chasing after sensations that neglect the significance of the the body that Jesus has brought us into. Why live a new life? Because you are part of something massive. A new humanity, you're part of the body of Christ himself. So the the reason to live a new life isn't to, to somehow hang on to your worthiness to be saved. You've been filled with the fullness of Jesus. And so the life that we live either strengthens or weakens his body. So what is this new life supposed to look like? What does it look like to live the new self? What Paul goes on to describe is nothing less than a total and complete transformation of every area of our lives. Not just a a little bit more of this or a little bit less of that. It's not just a Sunday afternoon here or a few prayers there. Paul says that it means taking off the old self and putting on the new self, an entirely new self. In verse 22, he says, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. The, The old self is... It's not just the things that we used to do, it's the person we used to be. It's the the, the dim, darkened mindset. It's the desensitised morals. It's the the desires that we keep giving the keys and letting sit in the driver's seat of our life. And he says this new self, this new thing in verse 23 is to be made new in the attitude of our minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This new self is a completely new person, a person who thinks differently, who thinks about the world and about relationships and priorities, starting with Jesus and then moving out from there. It's a person who wants Jesus to recalibrate their moral compass, a person who doesn't just want to bow to their desires and accept them as they are, but who wants to want what Jesus wants. A person who acts like Jesus and in doing so is more and more like God himself. Now, the good thing is, you don't have to come up with a picture of what that new self looks like because Jesus has already shown us. The old way that you used to live, that's not you anymore. So Paul says, take off that old way. It's like taking off old clothes and try on this new set of clothes that Jesus has made for you and given you. Walk like him. I met a young guy a few years ago who had grown up as part of a gang here in Brisbane. And so when he was younger, he he was kind of involved with them in small ways. They give him small jobs to do to kind of prove his reliability, his trustworthiness, his willingness to do what they asked him to do. And as he grew older, he got more and more involved and ended up pulling off 
bigger and more illegal things and eventually got arrested, charged and ended up in juvie, juvenile detention. A big part of being in the gang was the clothes that you wore, the colours. Each gang would have a different colour that they would wear to show that you belong to them. This is who you belong to. And it said to your enemies, don't touch me because I'm with them. Now, this guy said when he came out of juvie, he wanted to leave that gang, that life behind. And a huge part of that was that he said, I don't want to wear red anymore. That, that was the colour of this gang that he was part of. I don't want to wear red anymore because that colour reminds me of who I was and the life that I used to live. Now, the people that he moved in with after he left juvie, they, they bought him a whole bunch of stuff to get him up on his feet and get life happening. And they also bought him a bunch of new clothes and that was so significant for him because what he wore was a symbol of who he was now, the life that he lived now. Paul says that you've left that old life behind. So take off those old clothes, that old way of living. Jesus gives you new clothes, a new life, a new self. Take off the old, put on the new. And so Paul lists out a whole range of areas of our lives. And in each one of these areas, there's something to take off and there's something to put on. So we're going to go through them. There's five of them. First one is in verse 25. Paul says, take off falsehood and put on the truth. Now, when he says falsehood, he's talking about lying, yes, saying things that aren't true, but maybe it's a bit more than that as well. It's, it's making people think things that aren't entirely accurate. It's the white lie. It's the, the information you leave out, the things that you don't say. It's the acceptable excuse that isn't really the reason why that happened. It's trying to make a situation better for ourselves than what the truth actually deserves. And Paul says the problem with falsehood isn't just that you know, it's, a bit, it's a bit naughty, it actually impacts the body of Christ. Look again at verse 25, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. If God loves us, knowing the truth about us, knowing all of our secrets, and we in the church are called to love each other even as we fail, then we, we, can, we can afford to speak the truth to each other, can't we? The problem is when we speak falsely to each other, we are building a culture where we need to stay hidden from each other. And when we communicate to each other that God's grace is not quite enough to cover over our failures and our blemishes, we need to put on a good face. But when we do speak truthfully to each other, especially when we admit our mistakes, when we're honest about our shortcomings, we are proclaiming that the grace of God rules here not the fear of condemnation. Paul says, take off falsehood, put on truthfulness. Number two, down in verse 26, he says, take off rage and put on righteous anger. Now, Paul's not saying here in verse 26, don't be angry, can't be angry, never feel anger. He's not saying that. He's, he's saying, take off the sinful things that anger drives us to do. The, the ESV translation, I think, puts this helpfully. It says, be angry and do not sin. Now, it's right that we should be angry, just like it's right that we should be hungry in the right circumstance about the right thing. 
We should be angry when the strong hurt the weak. We should be angry when people lie. Jesus was angry with religious hypocrites, people who wore masks. But when anger takes the wheel and it, and it drives us to lose our self-control, drives us to violence, it drives us to, to seek revenge, that's the old you. Take that off. Jesus' right anger led him to doing what was right. Sometimes that meant confronting the Pharisees for misleading people. Other times it meant comforting Lazarus's family when he was angry about what death had taken away from them. Now, another part of this to take off is also there in verse 26. It's the idea of letting our anger fester. Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, sometimes this is overcooked a little bit into a literal rule that you must deal with your angry feelings before the sun goes down. You, you have to do that, which is a little bit difficult in some parts of the world like Antarctica, where uh, sometimes the sun does not go down all day long, which means that you can't feel angry at all. And sometimes the sun stays up all day long, which means you can just stay angry. That's great. It's, I don't think that it's not how Paul's thinking. It's not that mechanistic. The spirit of Paul's words is not to hold on to your anger and nurse it and stroke it. And sometimes we do that, don't we? We, we go over what that person said to us or what they said about us behind our back. We go over that again and again and it, kind of in a sick way, it, it makes us feel like we deserve justice. It makes us imagine that person getting payback. Paul says that kind of thing gives the devil a foothold. And from there, he will take your heart and your hands into dangerous places. Take that off, Paul says. Number three, Paul says, take off stealing and put on giving. In verse 28, if lying is being false with our words, stealing is a bit like being false with our hands. We're taking what is not ours. Now, for some of us, this is not particularly an uncomfortable verse because Maybe you don't need to steal in order to pay the bills or to put food on the table. But even Stowe, we steal all the time, don't we? We steal ideas, we steal content, we steal our boss's money by not doing the work that we're paid to do. We steal credit for something that someone else did. We steal from the government by not paying tax in the right way. We take what is not ours all the time. Now, Paul says, take that off. That's the old you. Put on generosity. Now, he says, work so that you can have something to share. Not so that you can have the pride of going, well, I paid my own way. He's encouraging us to care more about the needs of others than your own comfort. And so part of the question there is, well, what, what do you have that you can share? With whom can you share it? That might even just start with asking God to open your eyes to what those needs are around you. Number four, Paul says, off with unwholesome words, what he calls unwholesome talk, and put on words that build others up. Our words are, are powerful, right? James, later on in his letter, he says that our tongue, our words, are like the rudder of a ship. It's a small thing, but it can set the direction of someone's life. 
We are in the body of Christ. We are tasked with building each other up so that we know the fullness of Jesus. And the way that we speak to each other, our words are a major part of that. And so Paul says, take off words that just tear people down. The Greek word behind the unwholesome that we've got there in verse 29 is, it's a bit more active than that. It's not just, it's not just words that are corrupt or dodgy, it's words that are corrupting. The things that we say, however flippant or offhand, however private, they impact other people. The jokes that we tell, the way that we take things lightly, the way that we minimise the glory and the importance of Jesus, we impact each other's hearts when we speak like that. Paul says, put on words that build people up according to their needs. Maybe there are people around you who need a word of welcome. It's good to see you. I value you being here with me. Maybe there are people around you who who need a word of comfort or encouragement. Maybe there are people around you who need a word of warning. Maybe there are people around you who just need a word of grace, being reminded that Jesus has done it for them, they don't have to do it. Words that build up, put them on. And lastly, Paul says, put off Malice, the desire to see someone get hurt and put on kindness. Now, this starts with an interesting verse in verse 30, where Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, this this strikes me sometimes as a bit of a strange verse, because I I think of God as pretty tough, pretty thick-skinned. But then we read here that it's possible for us to grieve the Spirit of God, to cause Him sorrow, pain, How do we do that? Well, it's as we speak to each other, treat each other, in verse 31, with bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice, that desire to see someone else lose while you win. This affects God, not just the people that we hurt. It affects the Spirit of God himself. And so Paul encourages us in verse 32, put on compassion, put on kindness, forgive as Jesus has forgiven you. Later on, there's a little verse that Paul uses in chapter 5, verse 10, where he talks about finding out what pleases the Lord, what brings joy to him, as we have compassion and kindness to each other. Paul says, off with the old, on with the new. Take off the old gang colours, put on the new clothes that Jesus has walked in and that he invites you to walk in as well. Now, brothers and sisters, let me be the first one to say, this is hard. It's hard to do this even when you want to, to live that new life. And sometimes it's just plain hard to want to, isn't it? I, I like my old clothes. I like what it feels like to serve me and not you. So how is it possible that we can actually live this new life? Look, the good news is you don't have to create this new self for yourself. God has already made it for you. We've been united with Jesus and so our transformation, that change comes in him by him, through him, as we look to what he's done for us and who he is for us. Winding all the way through this passage is is a 
a seam of gold that from time to time pops up to the surface and we get a bit of a peek of it and it pops out in a few really important places. It's what makes it possible for us to change. And one of the times that we see it is in verse 32. We change as we experience the forgiveness of Jesus. Look at verse 32 again. We just read it. Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul is saying the power for you to be kind and compassionate and forgive, the change that's going to enable you to live differently comes from experiencing Jesus' compassion and kindness and forgiveness to you. It's as Jesus has compassion on us in our sin that our heart is melted so that we might have compassion on other sinners. As Jesus willingly forgives our sins, this is what transforms us so that we might want to be like him. When we are blown away by the generosity of Jesus to us, in forgiving us and loving us and welcoming us as his own, knowing everything about us. This is the thing that makes us want to turn away from sin and love him more than that. A little bit later on, down in verse 1, we read there that we change as we understand, as we follow the example of the love of Jesus, as we are shaped by his sacrifice for us. Have a look at verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We change as we understand the love of Jesus for people, for us and for the people of our world. Now, I'm going to borrow a story here. On Friday night at our youth group, New City Youth, Nathaniel, who's here somewhere, he gave a talk and he used this example, which I just thought was really helpful. And uh, I gave it, I just said before that you can't steal other people's ideas without giving credit. I don't think he wanted me to mention his name, but there you go. Thanks for helping me out. Um, Nathaniel asked us to imagine, have you ever been in the situation where you try and learn a song by ear? So maybe you're a, you're a top musician, maybe you've never taken a lesson in your life and you're just trying to dabble, have you ever tried to learn a song without reading any sheet music or anything just by listening to this song and then playing it on an instrument? It is hard work, right? Because you've got, you've got nothing to, to just read. You've got to listen to that song and know it deeply. You've got to listen to it over and over and over again till it haunts your dreams. You've got to know not just the notes, but the feel, the weight of it, how it, how it goes, how it moves. And so the only way to do that is to listen to it again and again and again and absorb it. And Nathaniel really helpfully pointed out to us that it's a bit like that as we follow Jesus' example. That we need to watch him, read about him, notice him, see what he is like, the way that he treats people, absorb that over and over and over again until we get it, until we see it, until we know what that is so that we might follow his example and be shaped by his love. Friends, we have been united with Jesus. We have been filled with his fullness and we have been united with each other so that we might continue to help each other be full of the fullness that is in Jesus. So Paul says to us, it's time to take off the old empty way of life and put on the new. Why don't we pray that God would help us to want that?
Father, we thank you for every new thing that you have given us in Jesus. Thank you for the death he died for us. Thank you for the new life that he has been risen to, that he gives to us. And Father, we thank you that as we know him, as we understand him, as we listen to him, that we are reshaped. Father, we pray that you might help us to put on the clothes that he wore, to live the life that he lived, to walk with him, to learn to live his way. Help us to rejoice in the fullness that he's given us so that we would turn away from the emptiness of the old life and want the new life instead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.